All right, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Timeout Talk. We're your hosts, Raphael Singer. And Hunter Leon. And there's actually a ton of NBA news to get to. Season hasn't started yet, yet, but we're getting, you know, media day and all the photos coming out of players in their new jerseys. And we're getting closer and closer, but let's just dive right into, I guess, the biggest story that broke. Um, and this is actually, like, some crazy news. I don't think I've ever seen anything like this um, in the NBA, or at least not for a very long time. And that's this whole Ime Udoka situation. So, Hunter, do you want to give a, a brief little recap of what happened with the former coach of the Boston Celtics? Yeah. So the way the news broke and the way it actually happened were a little bit different. So I'll start with the way the news broke, just because that's how we initially received it. And we saw like a, a big Woj bomb that basically said that Ime Udoka is potentially looking at getting suspended for the entire season for some like organization misorderly conduct we didn't really know what it was yet um and then we found out it would be it was a sexual harass potentially sexual harassment case uh and then there were a lot of rumors about that and now we come to find out the, the full picture at least what we know right now is that Ime Udoka and a, another member of the Celtics staff were in a consensual sexual relationship um and the the organization thought that would be a liability to them. So they determined it was best for them to uh, suspend Ime Udoka for the full 2022-2023 season, which was a massive blow to the Celtics. Yeah, and it's just crazy because, you know, it's like, how how often do you see that? You know, a head coach being suspended for an entire season and for something like sexual misconduct. Um, so I, I guess I'll start with the question, like, do you think the Celtics were right to do this? Do you think this was the right punishment? Yeah, I do. I think this is the right punishment. Um, I think the people who don't think it's the right punishment aren't understanding the perspective of a company, an organization. As the Celtics organization, there's a lot more you're liable for than just simply there being a sexual relationship or there's just being a relationship in general. It would be a little bit different if it wasn't Ime Udoka, if it was just another general member of the staff. Like If it's not the GM, the owner, the coach, like people in positions of power having consent, regardless of its consensual relationship or not, with somebody who works under them creates a really weird and tricky dynamic in the workplace. And it also makes them very liable to be sued by either party if there's ever like a breakup or if something ever happens, which makes the complication even more tricky. And the Celtics did not want to leave themselves vulnerable to anything happening, especially when they're looking at trying to win a championship and and other things. So I do think they made the right decision. And while others in other sports or other teams haven't necessarily made this decision, I don't think it's ever been to this extent. Yeah, no, I, I honestly agree with you. Uh, at first, like, I know when we first talked about this, like I disagreed with you on this, but I've sort of come around to agree. I think that from a basketball perspective, this is obviously not the right move. Ime Udoka was a fantastic head coach, took you to the finals on his first stint with the Celtics. Um, but, you know, the Celtics are a business first and from a business perspective and even from a moral perspective, I think this is the right decision. You know, there's certain conduct that you don't tolerate and this kind of crosses that line for sure. Um, I, I think it's interesting to see what the Celtics will do without Ime Udoka because there's been a lot of like, I, I want to say turmoil within the Celtics organization, especially among the players. Like you just see some of the tweets that they're liking. They're saying like, this is it for the Celtics, you know, like, Brown is going to leave and Tatum's not going to resign and all these things. And I'm sure, you know, the head coach departing for an entire season, if not more, is definitely not going to help anything. Um, so I think this is going to change the landscape of how the Eastern Conference looks next season. And we can definitely talk about that. Uh, maybe not in this episode, but as we get closer to the season. Mm -hmm. But I mean, what do you think this means for Emi Udoka? Do you think he's ever going to return to the Celtics? Do you think he'll ever get a spot in the NBA as a head coach? Ooh, uh, I mean, like, that's a tough one to come back from, and I don't think he will. I think this is that he had one very legendary first season as a head coach, and I don't think he'll ever be a head coach again. I just think it's too great of a liability seeing what he's done in that one year. And even if he is going to come to teams and say like, look, I, I didn't really understand the magnitude or, you know, it's not going to happen the same way. I just think it's the damage was done and it's just really unfortunate because he was definitely going to be making himself one of the best coaches in the league for the coming years. 
Exactly. And I mean, I certainly agree. I think that I don't think Amy Adoka will ever be a head coach in this league again. Um, I mean, I think he is a terrific head coach. Like we saw what he was able to do with his first year on the Boston Celtics. But, you know, teams prioritize like just good ethics. I wouldn't say good ethics, but, you know, like they want. It is ethics. It's absolutely ethics. Okay, well, yeah, ethics and just people who are generally unproblematic. Like, I I think this situation is comparable, although to a lesser extent, um, to like the Miles Bridges situation, who obviously uh, has not been signed yet due to the domestic violence charges. I don't think anybody. Oh, wait, for a second, I thought you said Miles Turner. You said Miles Bridges. Okay. (laughs) I was like, wait, there's new news. Obviously, he's been sort of blackballed from the league because there's allegations of him committing domestic violence. And I think like teams don't want to have to like, regardless of how talented you are, I don't think teams want to have to deal with that. And it, from a business perspective, from a moral perspective. And I think this is sort of a similar situation to Ime Udoka. Now I have like, it's kind of like a, uh, not to make light of the situation, but like, what if LeBron (laughs) was in like a situation like this? Would a team sign LeBron? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yes. Like if LeBron was caught like sleeping with a assistant coach on the Lakers or something. Um. Again, that's a different relationship. I'm not sure being a player on the team, having a relationship, is that's different. Again, than staff. Staff of a team and players are very different. I think players are going to have a much easier time having relationships with employees than a coach or a GM having relationships with employees. Because as a player, there isn't necessarily as much of a power dynamic between you and the other employee because you're both technically still employees of the organization. Um, whereas the coach technically has an upper position. They have a certain say-so when it comes to players. They have a say-so when it comes to training staff. They have a say-so when it comes to all these other staff. I mean, like, look, the players are going to, like, ask the training staff to, like, massage them or something or, like, work them out but it's not going to be like the, the the owner or the coach telling the, the staff to do something generally speaking for the team mm. it's a different dynamic yeah i think a general good rule of thumb is to just like you know don't have sexual relations with people on your team or in your organization like i feel like you can avoid a lot of problems by just not doing that you know like um, just try to keep those things separate. As, I think that's a general good rule of thumb if you're an NBA player or someone who's on an NBA team. So you don't have to deal with the like extremely messy situation uh, like we've seen with this Ime Udoka thing. But I, I think that that there, that's all we can really talk about with this. I mean, yeah, I, I do want to ask, and Hazel will talk about it later, but just really quickly, do you think this knocks the Celtics down a peg or two, or do you think this they're still in contention? I think so. I think this definitely knocks them down a peg. I mean, we saw, like, I think if anything, this is just going to be like a big readjustment period for the Celtics because, you know, changing a head coach is not like an insignificant thing. Ime Udoka really shifted the culture in the Celtics, transformed their identity to being like defensive minded. And whoever they bring in as the interim head coach will be a like assistant coach on the training staff. They're not going to bring in some because he's technically just suspended. He hasn't been fired as a head coach yet. So they're just going to bring in an assistant coach to be the interim head coach. But I don't know if that's going to have the same effect. So I expect the Celtics to start out very slow. And it's very questionable to me whether they will recover. Because we've yeah. seen the same personnel, even at the beginning when Ime Udoka was coaching, be like a very mediocre team. So there is a, a high likelihood, in my opinion, that you know we could see the Celtics team being like an eighth seed. Or I, think, the- I think what might end up happening is that the Celtics team, like whoever is the new interim head coach, is going to try and run Ime Udoka's system, which obviously is the right play because Ime Udoka's system worked. The problem with that is running someone's system is very tricky because it's not your thoughts. You're, you're portraying somebody else's ideas. And I think it, you can. it's similar to when Luke Walton was stepping in for Steve Kerr in like maybe it was 2018 or 2017 when he was out for like a good portion of the season but the difference is that the Warriors in 2017 had a long time established system in Steve Kerr and they're they're out, everything flowed very easily and everyone knew it and on the Celtics team it's still brand new so it's going to be a lot harder to make that transition and I'm not sure if they will be able to but if they can that would be very impressive 
I, I'm honestly not surprised. Like with everything I've been seeing within my um, within Twitter and, and and on social platforms and stuff, this Celtics team seems like it's ready to blow up. Honestly, like I know that's kind of crazy to say for a team that just made the finals, but like there seems to be a lot of tension. So honestly, I would not be surprised if something absolutely crazy happened during the season, like Jalen Brown gets traded or, or some big move is made uh, because there's just a lot of tension and turmoil in the locker room and amongst the players, amongst the staff. Um, I just, I definitely don't think things are good in Boston. And this is certainly not the news you want to hear if you are a Celtics fan. Um, and with that, I, I think we can move on because I don't know, this whole situation yeah. is a bad taste. Mm-hmm. In my mouth. Uh, so- I think we can move on to something that's like more exciting. Um, I don't know how many of you guys have been paying attention, but, Ben Simmons recently was on the Old Man of Three podcast. For an hour and a half, he talked about his situation with Philadelphia, how that all panned out from his perspective, and like what he would have done differently. He talked about his future with the Nets. He talked about just everything all-encompassing. Basically, ESPN's wet dream. Like, And the thing is, ESPN could have never gotten Ben Simmons to talk about any of this stuff, but J.J. Reddick could get like could get Ben Simmons to talk about it because he's another player. There's respect. There were teammates during those times. Not only that, but JJ Redick during like the entire time wasn't like combated with Ben Simmons. He was just listening and giving like perspective as well, like to, to the audience, which I think is another important keynote. Like ESPN needs to like know that like having Stephen A. Smith yell at Ben Simmons the entire time or Kendrick Perkins tell him he's wrong is not going to make Ben Simmons want to go on ESPN or the jump and talk about it with Skip Bayless like that. Right. And I think if anything, I I think this, what I take away from this story is not really like what Ben Simmons actually said. Cause at this point, I feel like it's well established how he feels about everything and, you know, his attitude toward taking threes and, you know, his time in Philadelphia, everything like that. It's more so how players view the traditional establishment media versus these new media forms how they're popping up in players are increasingly being attracted to those and, and using those as an outlet for, you know, voicing their opinions and, and how they're feeling. Uh, not only Ben Simmons hopping on this podcast, and we've seen plenty of NBA, current NBA players hopping on this podcast. We've seen players get on the All the Smoke podcast, which is Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson. We saw Kyrie Irving get on Twitch with a, a couple of streamers and talk about his time in Brooklyn, what the Boston series felt like which he would never do with the media, you know, like, like ESPN or, uh, you know, undisputed outlets like that. I think players don't really have respect for those outlets because they're so focused. They're so sensationalized. They're not focused on the players. They're just focused on creating a story, creating drama and players just want to have a more authentic outlet to express themselves. And I think with the rise of platforms like YouTube, Twitch, you know, the growth of podcasting, um, I think that's allowing players to have different outlets. So I think that's overall good for the league. We get to get more transparent and authentic views into what like these players are actually feeling and thinking. Um, and I think this is bad for like the traditional, your ESPNs and stuff like that, your bleacher reports, because it, it, it allows them to like not manipulate the story to create artificial drama as much. Yeah. And uh, players definitely realize that and, it's exciting as a fan to not have a middleman in there and just to be able to see it raw. So who knows, maybe traditional media within the next, uh, like, I don't know, 10 years is going to be replaced by all, you know, the podcasts and your Twitch platforms and other forms of media, except I'd say the only time is like the, the post game show. Like, obviously you can't have like a player playing the game and then 10 minutes later, hop on Twitch and start talking about the game. But I mean, the, in all seriousness, there are players who right after they get out of the locker room, go home. They talk about like the playoff game they just had. Like Jason Tatum did that during the Warriors series. Draymond, oh, remember when Draymond did that after yeah. the Warriors series? He made a podcast episode. So there's definitely going to be more of that. Um, and we, we talked about how much flack he got for that. But I think that might have been the start of just like the future of NBA media consumption. Yeah, definitely. And I think we're going to see more and more players uh like follow that wave i think draymond green is really like a trendsetter with that and um don't be surprised if this sort of becomes a norm also like we just see players u- utilizing their own social media outlets more like 
players will go immediately on Twitter after a game and talk about the game, um, which I think is cool because you kind of get an unfiltered look into what it's actually like and without the distortion from the media and in the sort of optics that they put on to create a create drama or to push a narrative. Um, yeah. So I feel like some players do specifically make their Twitter posts though, to make a narrative, like they'll like put code in there and keep all the fans like, Ooh, what do they actually mean? <clears throat> Kevin Durant specifically, <laughs> but <laughs> like a little bit. Kevin Durant especially likes the drama. And I, I feel like he thrives off that. Um, but I'll, I'm actually going to bring him up in this next example uh, because I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about Jay Crowder of all people because uh, it's been reported that uh, both the Suns organization and Jay Crowder have mutually agreed to find him a new home. He won't be playing in the Suns training camp. And according to Shams, um, Boston, Memphis, Miami, and Dallas are the most likely destinations. So what I'm so think- sad the Lakers aren't on there, bro. I know we could have used Jay Crowder, but we could have used him so bad. But what do you think is first the most likely destination? What team could benefit the most from a guy like Jay Crowder? And what does this mean for the Suns to lose uh, him? I think, first of all, Memphis would benefit the most from having Jay Crowder. Absolutely, Memphis. I think having a veteran presence, somebody who's been in the finals, somebody who's gone to the playoffs, he's always on a wing team. They they are a winning team, but they just don't have that experience. That's what they lacked last year. And they did bring some more of that on, but they did lose some guys because uh, they couldn't, you know, sign everyone. Um, I think who did who did they lose? I'm trying to remember all the names of the guys they lost um, in Memphis. Um, I mean, they lost Kyle Anderson. Yeah, they lost Kyle Anderson. But re- regardless, I think that he would fit in great there. Just a defensive presence. Um, three-point shooting that's all you really need he's a wing player i mean he's like the prototypical like best situation to have for your backup forward or even the starting small forward if you like need a three and d wing that's he's the prototypical three and d wing um and all these teams would benefit from him but i think miami would benefit the most he's already been to miami he's actually Um, been to all of these teams before which yeah i know (laughs) i know he he's also been in memphis but he's been in miami probably the longest of all of them, except maybe Boston. Maybe he was in Boston longer than Miami. Don't uh, check me on that. But um, I think just the way Miami's system is set up, he thrived there. Uh, they could always use more three and D wings, and I think he complements Jimmy Butler really well. And I think Miami needs that one more, maybe one more role player to push them over the edge. They have a lot of guys, but they are usually like undrafted or guys that are unproven. I think just having one more veteran on that Miami team would help them so much because I, th- I think they're already there but just having one guy would put them slightly over that hump and they are probably favored now over the celtics anyway and you know what miami they didn't make any moves this offseason besides signing 40 year old udonis haslam or whatever uh for- they also resigned no they resigned um victor oladipo well i'm saying they didn't actually like make any additions they just kept their mm-hmm. existing personnel so i think you know adding a guy like jay crowder would definitely help I personally want to see Jay Crowder in Dallas to play alongside Luka Doncic. I think that Jay Crowder would really thrive, um, you know, being like with a great playmaker and passer in Luka Doncic. And I also think he would bring some some toughness and some grit to this team because I think you know this Dallas team we've seen. Jay that- Crowder has not been in Dallas, by the way. Yeah, he has been. Wait, when was he in Dallas? I don't remember, but I saw a jersey. I saw a picture of him in a in a Mavs jersey, and it was not photoshopped. I promise. Okay. Okay. I think it was earlier in his career, but, um, yeah. So I think seeing him in Dallas alongside Luca would be great, especially in the playoffs, because he's a type of guy who brings a lot of toughness, a lot of grit, a lot of intensity. He's not afraid to get in your face, to talk trash, and to really bring the toughness that you need to win a lot of those like deep, uh, or these these playoff series deep in the playoffs. So I'd love to see him there, but honestly, Jay Crowder, you can plug him into any team and he'll probably make you a better team. So I think that's interesting. The reason why I wanted to talk about Kevin Durant here is like, I think it's so funny that Jay Crowder has more leverage than Kevin Durant in finding a situation. Like, how is it that when Jay Crowder says, yeah, I want to get out of here, the Phoenix Suns are like, okay, we'll accommodate you. We will get you out of here. And then Kevin Durant's like, Okay, I want to get out of here. And Brooklyn's like, no, you're not. You're not. You're not leaving, buddy. Like, 
what is going on? Yeah, obviously it's a joke that you say that because like the situation like makes sense why it worked out how it did. But I think it is absolutely funny that uh, Jay Crowder was like, yeah, I want to dip. But I think that's interesting too. How do you think that impacts the Suns? Just is that just another L for the Suns? The Suns don't look great, man. I'm I'm really not big on them next year. I think you know, with all the sort of trade rumors that were happening, with Chris Paul saying they took nothing away from the Dallas series, like you took nothing away from getting blown out by like 50 points at home in a game seven, and like just overall, I'm not excited about the Suns season. I think that Aiton just you know there was that whole drama about him getting re-signed and all that. Um, now Jay Crowder leaving. It just seems like the Suns team is going to be a big disappointment next year. So I think I, I think if I were to predict it, I think the Suns and the Celtics are going to be massively disappointing next year. Um, and this just sort of furthers my my case. Yeah, I would probably bet under on the Suns for like the amount of wins they're going to have. But at the same time, it's still Chris Paul, and Chris Paul always does great in the regular season when it comes to the amount of wins he gets as a player. We'll see what happens in the postseason, though. Yeah, the postseason where it always seems to fall apart for him. Um, but we'll, we'll move on and uh, talk about the Mavs, actually, because, you know, they did beat them last year in the playoffs. So it's been come out uh, during media day that the Mavs plan to use Christian Wood actually as a six-man and to start JaVale McGee, uh, probably alongside Maxi Kleba in the backcourt, uh, per Jason Kidd. So this is coming straight from the head coach. So, Hunter, what do you think of this move, and is this the right move? for? The- I think it's really interesting. And I will say, I love JaVale McGee as a player. I think he's just so good, so energetic. He provides so much. I mean, he's an idiot, right? He always makes stupid plays in every game. He's going to you know, have a turnover or like some dumb play that's going to be on Shaq and the Fool. It's going to happen, but everything else he does in the court is meaningful. He's a big rim deterrent. Uh, and he, even though he's 34, he still jumps out of the gym. He's one of those guys who's aged very well for a big man. Um, and I can see him playing in that, like, when he was on the Lakers in that 2020 team, the bubble team, he can have that kind of starting role where he starts the first six, seven minutes, and then you're going to see Christian Wood come in from there. And I really like that because, for one, Christian Wood's kind of um, had a little bit of an injury history. I think he is also, you know, seeing how much his stock has fallen from, like, two years ago when he was on the Pistons in that first year in Detroit, or not in Detroit, um, in in Houston. So that, I think, maybe they're trying to test the waters a little bit and see how JaVale starts. And if Christian would just catch his fire, I'm sure they'll put him in instead of JaVale. Um, but I like the defense JaVale brings, the lob threat he is with Luka Doncic. And I think that might be just like a, a safer way to start the season. Maybe not finish the season, but at least start the season. I like that. Yeah, honestly, I forgot about um, one piece of that. I agree with everything you're saying. I'm a big fan of JaVale McGee. I think as a starter, I think he, he brings a lot because he's always going to give you a lot of energy. He's a he's going to be a lob threat always for Luca to find, uh, whereas I don't think Christian Wood really has the same verticality as JaVale. And he's going to provide a lot for you on defense um, just in terms of rim protection um, and, you know, just getting those big blocks that turn that lead to a transition layup on the other side of the court. But a, a guy I totally forgot about is Dorian Finney-Smith. I think the starting lineup is actually going to be Luca, Spencer Dinwiddie, Reggie Bullock, Dorian Finney-Smith, and JaVale McGee. And that's a very solid starting five. I think the biggest downside to Christian Wood's game is just his defense. I think he is kind of a subpar defender as a big man. And so I think that the Mavs really want to emphasize their defense this year. So, you know, you having Dorian Finney-Smith, who is a great defender, by the way, a very underrated in my opinion, and JaVale McGee to lock down the backcourt, I think is going to be great for the Mavs. And then you can use... Christian Wood as sort of like an offensive piece off the bench and, and plug him wherever it seems applicable. But I don't even know if he's going to close games, honestly. Yeah, I mean, he might. It really just depends on the matchup. I think against guys like Joel Embiid and um, Jokic, where you're going to need that size, Christian or Joel is going to have to finish the games and he'll just have to kind of try to keep up with them because Christian Wood will just get bullied. Um, but if you're playing against a smaller team, like if you're playing against the Golden State Warriors and you're finishing against either Kevon Looney or like the death lineup, let's say Draymond Green is playing the center, you can absolutely finish with Christian Wood. 
Yeah. Uh, so I think that's just a matchup thing. And I think it's smart to probably have Travail start for all the reasons I said. But you also have a, a pretty good center rotation like Davis Bertans. I mean, he's not, not great, but he's going to give you a three-point threat. You also have um, Dwight Powell, who was great for you last year. Dwight Powell is kind of just like budget JaVale McGee, in my opinion. There's yeah. nothing that he does better than JaVale. I would agree. He's a better three-point shooter, though. Bro, but you're not relying on Dwight Powell threes. Ever. No, that that's that's true. But I just think you have a lot of versatility from this team at the center yeah. position and at the power forward position, which I think a lot of teams lack in the NBA. Um, so that's going to help them out a ton. Agreed. I agree. And um, yeah. So honestly, I think I think Jason Kidd. I've gained a lot of respect for him as a head coach since he's gotten to Dallas. Um, so I trust him, and I think this this is the right move. Um, but we'll, we'll keep moving on. Uh, more news happened. This one not as um, not as fun. Markel Fultz, he's out for the season again, or it seems like out indefinitely because he suffered a fracture in his big left toe. Um, this is, you know, he's been dealing with injuries his whole career. Obviously, the big injury that to his shoulder that really messed up his shooting form. And then just when it seems like he's having a breakout season, he tears, I think, an Achilles out for the season. Now this news. Is it? Is it too early to call him a bust? Like, how, how do we feel about that bust conversation? Man, it's tough. You know, injuries do create busts, you know? Like, if players getting injured constantly, and even if they were great while they played, but he wasn't great while he played to begin with. He was decent while he played, and then he has all these injuries on top of it. I think it's fair to call him a bust for the number one pick. Absolutely. Um I really do wish him the best in his career, but I think another more interesting guy to talk about as a bust is Lonzo Ball. Mm. I mean, because yeah. just the injuries now, like he last season when they played against, I believe it was the Warriors, he got injured in the first quarter of the game and they were like, oh, this is like a four to six week knee injury. And this is when the Bulls were the one seed and they had like a top four defense in the league spearheaded by Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso. And then he just still isn't healthy. And now it's seeming like he's not even going to be ready to start the season. Uh, so are we going to be having to talk about Lonzo Ball as a potential bust just because of how in- injury prone he is? I don't like that at all, to be honest. I think that, I mean, think about it. Lonzo is only in his fifth season. He's had very productive seasons in the NBA where he's like played a significant amount of games. I, I consider like a significant amount to be like maybe more than 55 Actually, he's only had because look at like the probably game. one one or two seasons over fifty five. Yeah, so he's had only two seasons above uh, fifty five, and you know we've seen some great production from him, especially in recent years. Like that last season in Chicago when he was playing, he was a very productive player, one of the best three point shooters in the league, lockdown perimeter defender. I guess you have to contextualize that with him being the number two overall pick. Like that's that what I mean. Way higher if you're number two overall. So I guess I don't want to call him a bust yet because I still think there's, he has a lot of potential left. Like, I don't think we've seen the last of him. And I think he's going to develop into a very solid NBA player. And so is he a disappointment? Of course. I think that goes without a doubt. But I, I wouldn't label him a bust. Just mm-hmm. going back really quick to the Markel full situation, looking at his games played, it's actually incredible. Do you want to hear these games played in his five seasons? Mm-hmm. 14, 19. 72, 8, 18. His, like, disregarding, you know, that 2020 season where he was actually uh, a very solid player and played pretty much the whole season, the most games he's played in a season is 19. Is that not insane? Yeah, I didn't realize it was that bad. I feel like that one full season made it feel like he played more games. Exactly. And I I hate it because I really liked what I saw from Markel Fultz uh, when he has been on the court, you know, he's really like transformed his game to be a, a great slasher. I think that, you know, his shot was looking a lot better and I was really rooting for him because of his story. And, you know, it, it's hard to not root for a guy who's had to deal with so many injuries his whole career, but his career, unfortunately, I hate to say it might be going down the, the Greg Oden path. You know, they're very, they're a good player when they're on the court, but they just can't stay on the court. And that kind of makes them a bust. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the magic are, I wouldn't say prepared for him to be injured, but they have a lot of young guards and guys who can fill in his position. So we might be seeing the last of him 
on the magic or just like for the potential future. And I do root for him and I want to see him back. Um, I just don't know what that's going to look like if he does return. I agree. I, I think that the magic, you know, they've sort of planned ahead of Marco Fultz. Like they're not relying on him. They have Jalen Suggs, Cole Anthony, RJ Hampton, Franz Wagner. Exactly. All these young guys that they're more so building around. Obviously Paolo's there, Wendell Carter. Um, but I meant more so the guards. Yeah, I would consider Franz more of a small forward, power forward. He no, he can play shooting guard though. I, I don't. Uh, they, he they played him at shooting guard sometimes. Fair enough. No, no, that's fair. Um, but I also want to talk about some more injuries. We don't don't have this written down, but the Celtics hate to bash on them. But now uh, we're seeing after Danilo Gallinari had his injury report, uh, it looks like, um, oh my god. Robert Williams. I don't know why I blanked on the name. Robert Williams is also going to be out with injury for a significant period of time. Do you think this... From what I read from that, it seemed like he was just recovering from surgery, I think. Uh, So I think he's going to make it back within, like, by December. Um, But that's what I'm saying. That's a significant period of time. That's a few months of the season. A couple months. Um, I think, I don't know, this seems to be the way Robert Williams' career is going. Like, he's he's a great big man, very, very good defensive player. Um, but he just seems to be a bit fragile and like his body kind of fails him sometimes. Um, I don't think this is going to change too much. Like they, the Celtics dealt with Robert Williams coming in and out of the lineup last year. It's a bummer for me because I wanted to see a full season of Robert Williams being healthy, but I don't think this is going to affect the the Celtics too much in terms of like their basketball performance. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. moving on from injuries. So with all the statements being said and all the takes being made during um, the start of media day, we we're reaching the section of the show. I like to call facts or cap. We're basically, I'm going to say statement Hunter. And then you're going to tell me if you agree with the statement, if it's facts, or if you think that it's not true in it's cap. So we'll start with RJ Barrett, who um, said that the New York Knicks will quote shock the world this season. What do you think? Facts or cap? fact okay well whoa, really yeah yeah they're gonna be the 15th seed <laughs> no uh i think shock the world that he is implying it is a good thing i think it's gonna implying it is a bad thing so i think they will shock the world i don't think that's wrong but i think they're going to disappoint once again i think that new york is gonna have a positive season i think that um they've made a good investment in um Oh my God. Why well, I keep blanking on names today? Jalen Brunson. Yes, Jalen Brunson. I don't know why I keep blanking on names, but they made a good investment in Jalen Brunson, but I just don't think they have enough. I think their their team is confusing in the sense that there's no real leader, at least for now. Maybe there, one will emerge, um, but they lack a lot of defense. Um, I, I find the team a little confusing just in composition, and I think. That is why I would say they're going to shock the world, but not necessarily in a positive way. I disagree. I don't think they're going to shock the world. I think they're going to be mediocre, which is kind of what everyone expects. I think that a successful season for them would be making the playoffs, which is feasible. Um, I think Jalen Brunson is going to have a great season, but I agree. I think that this team, any team with RJ or uh, with Julius Randle, I don't think is really going to be a very winning team. And as you said, there's no real leader. Um, I think they're going to lose in the plan. They could. I mean, I, I see that. And I think that would shock the world. Like, I, I think that there's a lot of people when he's saying is like, we, by shock the world, we're going to be in the second round. We're going to be in the conference finals. That's what he means. And I'm saying, yeah, I agree. I think most people think they're going to make the first round. I think they're going to be below that. I think they're going to shock people by being in the play and losing. Okay. I just disagree. I think that the expectation for the Knicks is lower than that. I think they didn't make the playoffs last year. I think people are, might be expecting them to be in a similar position, but we could just agree <clears> on that. Um, the next thing is uh, going to New Orleans, talking about the Pelicans quickly. So they gave CJ McCollum a $64 million two-year extension. Is this a good deal? That's tough. I'm going to go cap on it. I think they needed to give him that money because I, I mean, like, I don't think he was walking either way. I think he was fine there. But as the Pelicans, you're in New Orleans, Smoothie King Arena. Players aren't – that's not an attractive destination per se. So you need to throw money at guys. 
but still not a good deal. Think about the guys who are making $32 million at like his same like position. You're talking about like Drew Holiday, who's making 30. He's making more money than Drew Holiday. Um, we're talking about, I mean, who, can you think of any other guy, point guards making about 30? About 30 that, more. That's double what Spencer Dinwiddie makes. And he's, I like, th there's a, a list of guys. Jalen Brunson's making around $30 million. Jalen Brunson. And I don't think CJ McCollum fits that. I think he's the third guy on his team once after, he's going to be after Zion, he's going to be after BI, then it's CJ. He was the leader for the team last year, but I think that's just because last year was a weird season. Uh, there was a lot of in and out of the rotation. Zion was out for the entire year. So I think Zion's going to come back and be number one. BI is going to be number two. And you're paying your number three $32 million when I think you don't have to. I mean, you, you kind of made a lot of arguments, but I think that, you know, if you're the Pelicans, you kind of have to hold on to the talent that you can get. You know, CJ McCollum is one of the better players that the Pelicans have gotten in recent years. Um, I think that that big three of him, Zion, and BI is actually a very, very solid trio in this league and can win a lot of games. And you add on to that, uh, their young core, you know, guys like Herb Jones, Jose Alvarado, et cetera. And I think the Pelicans are a great team that, have the talent for now, but also have the talent uh, to build on for the future. I definitely think you want to make sure CJ McCollum is a part of that. He still has some good years in his, in his career, even though he's on the wrong side of 30, you know, he's only 31 and we saw him play very productive basketball last year. So I'm not mad at this deal. I think that relative to play, what we've seen other players get in the league. Um, I don't think this is a terrible deal. Is it a little much? Like, would you have rather paid him like 25 mil maybe? Sure, but I think the Pelicans did what they had to do to to keep a guy with that much talent on their squad. Yep, that's fair. Next one, factor cap. Pascal Siakam wants to be a top five player in the league. I mean, this is facts. I mean, we're looking at top five players in the league. We got, you know, Giannis, LeBron, KD, Siakam. Like, he just his name fits there, man. Now nah, I'm playing. Um, This is actually clearly cap. I think it's good that Siakam has this sort of mentality. I don't think you want to like, if you're a player who's trying to be an all-star, trying to be a superstar player, lead your team. I don't, I never think you want to have the mentality like, yeah, I want to be like the top 50 player. Like you should be trying to be the top five player in the league. Is that a realistic expectation? Of course not. But you almost have to be delusional in order to be great. You know, you always have to assume you're going to be the best or at least trying to be the best. So I like the mentality. I like, the thought behind it, and I hope at least it's some good results. But is it an accurate statement or a realistic expectation? Not in the slightest. Yeah, I agree. At no point in his career, at any point in his career, let me make it very clear, at in no point in his career will Pascal Siakam be a top five player in the league. There's what just too much. Sorry, sorry to cut you off, but what do you think is the highest, like, Pascal Siakam at his peak was a top blank player in the league? 20. I think that's fair. I think at his peak in his entire career, like he continues to progress. I think at best he'll be a top 20 player, which is still great. That's all-star, mm -hmm. but that's where I think he is. I think his highest ceiling is an all-star. Yeah. I think that's, you know, that's very realistic. And we've seen him be an all-star before. I think Siakam had a very underrated year last year. I thought he was very good, um, really improved as a defender and, and rounded out his game a lot. Um, but yeah, top five is a little crazy. Um, so going back to the Knicks quickly, I saw this on, like in a thread talking about the New York Knicks and somebody made the claim that every single team in the league has a player better than Julius Randle. Is this facts or is this cap? That's cap. That's absolutely cap. Okay. Name who, me who, okay. The Spurs. The Spurs? Yeah. Name me one player on the Spurs better than Julius Randle. You have to look up the Spurs roster. You can't even think of a player on the Spurs. Give me. How about the Utah Jazz? Come on uh, now. Okay, okay. You can make the argument Colin Sexton is a better player than Julius Randle. You could make that. I case. don't think you can. Colin Sexton has no awards to, to back that up. Julius Randle at least did have a season where he, he was an MVP candidate. Even if he isn't that this year, the, the argument to be made that Julius Randle at his top potential is a top five player in the league, which he proved he could do, is real. Wait, a top five player in the league? Like, no, by MVP voting, I'm saying. 
Oh yeah, but like, come on, that was such a fluke year. We're we're like we're talking about current day Julius Randle. Not I still think current day Julius Randle is better than Colin Sexton. That's that's a crazy argument. And I'm I'm the, somebody who supports Colin Sexton. You were the one who's who was hating on Colin Sexton and talking about De'Aaron Fox. <laughs> okay, say okay. Let's say this. Let's ignore the the Spurs because they're like kind of the biggest joke of a team. Okay, Utah Jazz, I think, still are in there. I think the, what, there's like maybe five people who are going to try and make the argument that Colin Sexton is better, but I think that's just a, a flawed argument. Okay. Um, how about how about this? How about ignoring the Jazz too? They're the other twenty-seven <laughs> or twenty. Yes. Yeah, uh, player better. I'm, let me. I need to think of the teams in the NBA. I need to like just look at the list right now. Is like obviously the Magic, but. Um, or yeah, how about you could actually you could make the no. I think um, OKC. You can you can't really say. Oh, you could say Shea is better, bro. You could definitely. maybe. A hundred percent. I'm taking Shea Gildas Alexander over Julius Randle every single day of the week. Okay, but still the Orlando Magic, like you that were saying. Might, yeah. Okay, that might be fair. That's uh, the. Hmm. Okay, that it it that might be it. The, <laughs> the Pistons, you get there's no one in the Pistons that's better. So, uh, like, look, there's got to be like five or six teams with there, which isn't that bad. Like, I feel like you could say that about most players on the team. Like, if you picked a player on the team, if you were like, look at the Kings, Demontis Sabonis, there was like you could name a guy better than Demontis Sabonis than almost every other NBA team, and everyone would be like, oh my god, Demontis Sabonis sucks. It's like, yeah, well, no crap, every other NBA team is a superstar. Okay, okay, well, okay. That's- <laughs> Well, that's a valid point. I just put it there so we could have this discussion. But yeah, you know, I mean, I feel like look when when uh two thirds of the league teams in the league have a superstar on them. Yeah, if your team doesn't have a superstar, every other team is going to seem like they have a better player. I wouldn't say two thirds of the team in the league have a superstar. I think all star, but like I think there's only like five, maybe t- like eight superstars in the league. Okay, we don't need to have a conversation of who yeah, the superstars are right now, but. Uh, let's move on. Uh, according to ESPN, the Timberwolves are the only team with three players in the top 25, and that would be um, Rudy Gobert, Carl Anthony Towns, and Anthony Edwards. Do you think that's factor cut? No shot Anthony Edwards is a top 25 player. There is no way. I, I refuse to believe that. There. I, do you, okay, first of all, do you agree with that, like Anthony Edwards being in the top five? Yes, Anthony Edwards is a top five player. I agree. You agree with that? No, no, no. I was kidding. Okay. Was you, you said top five, not 25. Okay, top 25. <laughs> no, no. There's no way Anthony Edwards is there. I, I think you can make the argument for him to be like top 40, but definitely not 25. Yeah, okay. So let's let's think of teams with good big threes, right? Um, I mean, you might like – I guess what's the next big best big three? Like maybe the Nuggets? With, I, like, I still think that – KD, Kyrie, Ben Simmons is better. No, okay, but like, come on, bro. Ben Simmons is a top 20. No, no, no. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying it's okay. Hmm. I don't think there's any team in the league that has three top 25 players. Yeah, which is actually great to think about. Like, that that doesn't happen in the league. It's been a while since it's been like that. Yeah. And I think, you know, the maybe the closest you're going to get could be like. I think there's teams that have potential to get there. Like, yeah, if Anthony Edwards shows out this season and makes the jump that I think that we both think he's going to be that most improved player, that certainly could be the case. Or even like, but I think, you know, a team like Philadelphia, Tyrese Maxey could also make that jump. And if Harden has a good year, then maybe that's the team that has it. Mm -hmm. Or, um, you know, we don't know what Michael Porter Jr. is going to look like. Maybe he comes out uh, strong and looks like a top 25 player. Very unlikely, but, you know, there's always a shot. So, yeah, what if CJ McCollum, Brandon Ingram, and Zion all come out and they all look insane? That's also possible. Yeah, Uh, but I think, you know, we'll we'll just have to wait and see. But on on, on its face, this claim, I think, is complete cap. Um, Mm -hmm. You brought up Zion, though, uh, so let's talk about him real quick. Do you think that Zion will be an all-star this year, fact or cap? Fact. As long as he's healthy, he's an all-star every year of his career. I think that's just fact. Um, he's very unique in the way he plays. He showed that he can be an all-star. He showed that he can be a superstar. He just needs to stay healthy in that weight clause that um, 
body fat clause in his contract is going to help with that a ton. And I think they need to do that from the beginning of his career. Have you seen recent uh, videos of him at Media Day? I have not, but did he look good? Looks great, man. Looks really looks in shape. Good. Looks strong. Looks looks slim. I'm, and he, and he, the way he's talking about this year, I think he's going to come out uh, swinging. I'm really excited to see what Zion does. I expect a big year from him, 25 points per game plus. Last I think he could average 30. I really do think Zion Williamson could come in the league at averaging 30. He very well could. And, I mean, I'm just so excited to see him back on the court. He's one of the most electrifying players we've seen in this league in a long time. And I think I'm, I'm just excited to see him back on the court. So, hopefully that's facts. I agree with you. Um, but, yeah, moving on. This is a very puzzling one. In an in a interview in, during media day, uh, somebody uh, asked Scotty Barnes of the Toronto Raptors like what his thoughts are on like being viewed as a point guard are. And then he said, I, quote, I've always been a point guard. Uh, now, keep in mind, I don't think Scotty Barnes has ever played a single minute at point guard in his whole career. Maybe when he was uh, in like – Little league, like you know, when he was like six yeah. years old, yeah, he played was... like, yeah, he brought up the ball like three times. But, like, no, please do not tell me, Scotty Barnes, that you've always been a point guard. Um, I really don't think there's much to be said about that. I think it's really funny, but that's the extent to which uh, I'd like to comment on that. Yeah, I mean, does he bring up the ball sometimes? Sure, but like, I, he's not a point guard. Like, He's not a point guard. That's it's as simple as that, and I think we could just leave it at that. Yeah, that that's like I'm asking Fred VanVleet. He's like Fred VanVleet. How do you feel about um, guarding Joel Embiid potentially uh, coming to the season? He's like, I always been a big man. <laughs> I always been a big man. <laughs> I always been a big man. <laughs> at heart, you know, I I just tall, you know. You know, you're like, you're six one. You're six one. Please do not tell me you're a big man. Just like I do not need Scotty Barnes telling me a rebounding big that he's a point guard. That's how many assisted he averaged last year? Like three, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> you're thought, not a point guard. I think it might have been more. Honestly, maybe it was like six. Uh, let's see. Scotty Barnes averaged like oh no, like three. <laughs> yeah, you were right. Yeah, he, I I figured it was about three. It was probably I think he averaged something maybe around fifteen, nine, and three. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So no, Scotty Barnes, you are not a point guard. I <laughs> do not need to emphasize this anymore. And if you are listening to this, please gain some more common sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we can move on to the next one. I want to hear your thoughts on this. Russell Westbrook will start for the Lakers. Hmm. Now, this has been a big discussion, and the way Russ has talked about this from his perspective, he said, like, no matter the role um, that he has on this team, he's going to do whatever it takes to win. I still am hoping that he's just not on the team, period, by the season start, but it's looking increasingly unlikely that that's going to happen. So I'm going to say yes. I think he will start on the Lakers, at least in the beginning of the season. I think Darvin Ham is going to try out – his hand at coaching these three players. I think Russ is maybe going to lower his ego a little bit because he realizes like, Hey, my career could come to a very premature close because my stock has dropped so much. So I need to do what it takes to win and whether it's going to work, I'm not sure, but I definitely think the Lakers are going to try it out if he's not shipped out. And I don't think he will be. So I think this is facts. I agree. I think this is fact. And I really do want to see Russell Westbrook have his redemption arc. I want to see him come and start the entire season and have have a fully healthy Lakers win like 50-something games. And that's not just from be, me being a Lakers fan. I do think Russell Westbrook has been overhated time and time again. Uh, and I think some of that is fair, but to the extent I do not think is fair. Um and I hope he uses that as motivation and not as a com- like a complaint like Ben Simmons would. Uh, but I think he is that kind of guy who's going to have the chip on his shoulder and just be like, I'm just going to prove all you guys wrong. I don't think he's the type of guy to, to just go into his shell. And I think he can prove that this season. As a Laker fan, I agree. Whether or not that's going to happen, I doubt it. I don't think so, but I mean, he, he was looking good in obviously practice is practice, but he was, he was looking good. His form was has supposedly changed a little bit um, over the summer and his shot was looking pretty smooth. Obviously game time. I think, I think one of his biggest problems is like just the, that game time decision-making that, that in game, like he's just moving too fast and he needs to slow down. Uh, but hopefully Russell or 
Patrick Beverly has awoken something in Russell Westbrook, you know, gone up to him, slapped him in the face and told him that it's, it's his team now. And that Patrick Beverly will carry the sorry man who didn't make the play in tournament last okay. year, but he, he knows how to do it. Hey, one can hope. Um, but moving on uh, to the penultimate question. So I guess like phrasing it in terms of facts or cap, the big three of Embiid, Harden, and Maxi is better than the big three of Jokic, Murray, and MPJ. Fact. I think James Harden and Embiid alone, I think we're better than the three. Whoa, whoa, really? I th- I just think because it's not because Jokic and Embiid, like there's a difference there. I think James Harden is just that much better than Murray and MPJ. I think they can prove me wrong because I just think coming off injury, they're going to be a little slow. Um, but James Harden is going to have a big season. I think this is a comeback year for him. And he, we've not seen the last of him. He's looked good. He stayed in a little more shape than he usually does coming to the season. Um, and I think on top of that, adding Tyrese Maxey, he's about even, in my opinion, with like a Michael Porter Jr. level-wise, maybe even a little better than that. Yeah. Um, and I think Michael Porter Jr. has more like upside, more potential, but Tyrese Maxey has proven more. So I'm definitely going to take the Sixers' big three all day. I, I agree with you. I think that, you know, I think Embiid and Jokic are pretty much negligible, like, yeah, Jokic might be a little better, but Embiid's a bit of a like more well-rounded offensive player in terms of just scoring the ball. Um, but you know, I think Harden, he does have that like, I think he has more to his game than Murray. I mean, he's a better playmaker, and if he can get back to at least like like eighty percent of the score that he was um, back in the Rockets, like there's no question about this. So I agree, it's fact. Um, the last question is I don't know what you're going to say about this one. So Ben Simmons will take more than 10 threes this year. Ooh, that's interesting. Fact. I'm going to say fact because I think at some point he's just not going to care. Mm. I think I think he's come to a mental state just listening from the the podcast where he's he's recovering from the the mental issues he's been having and he just doesn't give as much of a crap as he used to. So I think he might just go out there and be like, you know, I'm going to do my thing. KD, Kyrie, we're, we're here to win games, and I'm just going to take the shot, and I don't care if it airballs. It's going to, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, to give some context, like, when the last season that he played in 2021, he did take exactly 10 threes. Mm-hmm. But obviously some of those were, like, half-court heaves and, and stuff like that, so not true attempts. Um, but I agree. I think that, you know, maybe being in a new environment, having less of the pressure from, like, the really tough Philly fans – might like allow him to to just take some threes um and i don't know i think maybe his mentality has changed a little bit and i hope that he's able to find a shot maybe that would be a, a great little redemption arc um, when we're talking about that so i think uh, that's a good place to call the pod man yeah for sure this was a great good episode. episode yep getting closer to the nba season so stick around this is a crazy week in terms of news and i expect there to be a lot more controversial statements as like media coverage of like the preseason continues so stay tuned tune in next week for another great episode and we shall see you all then take care peace